everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich. I'm the other co-lead pastor here, and it is so great to be with you all this morning. Um, I have to tell you, I don't know if you guys are like me. I um, am not ready for Christmas. I have not got all my shopping done. There's cooking to be done. There's house cleaning to be done. Uh, There's family coming over. Uh, Up until a little while ago, it was rainy and windy and uh, yeah, not as motivating, and I just want you to know how much I appreciate you. I don't know if you're in the same place, but you choosing to be here today, the day before Christmas Eve, and all the things that we have going on, thank you. I want you to know your presence and participation here is incredibly important to me. Uh, It blesses me, and your participation as we sing, as we pray, as we think about what Advent means, um, I just am so glad you're here. Uh, Those of you who are listening online, thank you for doing those. Those of you who are going to be listening later, also wonderful. Um, Today we are in the final week of our 2018 Advent Sermon Series. And if you haven't been here, I'm going to do a quick review. The word Advent means arrival or waiting. And um, over the last few weeks, what we've been doing is making space to prepare, to engage, to remember, and to anticipate the arrival of Jesus Christ in the form of a baby as is told in the scriptures. And this event that we're looking at is one that has literally changed our world. The story of Advent from the beginning was one of unexpected contrast. You have this supreme peace born under the rule of Roman brutality. You have ultimate love wrapped up in the crude human cage of an infant's rib. You have joy enough to carry all of life and small enough to be carried in the crook of an arm. And you have this unimaginable hope that's born into this struggling, battling world. And all of this is done by God for each and every one of us for the world. And so Advent is here for us to celebrate the one life that is at the center of all that we do, Jesus. And this year as a church, we have been pondering the idea of faith practices and how they can help us live our day-to-day life more engaged with God and as a better representation of Jesus to our world. And so we first looked at prayer in action. And in doing so, Greg helped us look at the Lord's Prayer and the teaching of that. And he challenged us to spend every day of the week praying this prayer to see how it might affect us. And what we've heard from you over and over again is these stories of as you're praying and engaging with God in this prayer, how it changed the way you see and related to people, that it helped you think of people and see people differently, and it helped you be more aware and open to engage and serve people in a different way than you would have had you not been praying and engaging with God in this way. And so it invited us to this openness to serve and to love people and to make space to seek reconciliation rather than to simply sever relationships. We then looked at the practices of solitude and community, and with it, Heather Seegers challenged us to make space to engage in the difficulties of life, to make space on our own, to be present with all of who we are to make time to rest and to know that in those places of solitude and even in those difficult places that God is with us at all times. And that in making space for solitude, we also learned how it helps us more fully appreciate what it means to be in community, how being able to own our own stuff helps us to be able to invite others to do the same, which then creates such wonderful spaces of care and love and invitation and to the feeling of being truly seen and known. 
One example of application I heard from this was a person who shared how a teammate on his soccer team had just lost a loved one, but wrestled with how hard it was to know how to be present with that person, how to walk with that person. And he shared how he felt called to simply engage with this person and to share how his story also includes times of great loss. That in doing so is a way to use that to seek understanding, to provide care, and to let this person know that they're not alone. And so it's this beautiful picture of representing Jesus' willingness to be present with people no matter what's going on and the joy of being seen and known in community. Then last week, if you were here, you get to hear Ben teach on the practices of fasting and feasting. And we learned how these two practices are tied together, and we are invited to experience more fully those places of grief with our whole self. That our body and our soul, even though we like to think are separate, they're actually one. And that fasting is a way to grieve and most naturally and in a healthy way experience that. And he challenged us, right, how sadly it is that we ever make space to to really feel what we're feeling. And then we learn that it's when we make space to regularly feel the full spectrum of life in the form of fasting that enables us to more fully celebrate and appreciate and experience the goodness that it is of feasting together. I, I reflected on our Christmas party, and those of you who are there, right as I prayed to eat the food, the power just went boom, just out. Um, it didn't stop us from feasting. It didn't stop us from being in community and, and sharing life together. And be, In fact, it, it drew us closer. There was something really cool about that. And, and being able to own the difficulties and be present in those and feel those things enables us to fully experience what it means to be in celebration and feast together. All together, as we've looked at these practices during Advent, what we've seen is that each of these practices feeds into the other. So, so prayer, as we engage with God, feeds into and affects our actions. Solitude, as we make space to be in those places, affects and feeds into our experience of community. And fasting feeds into and affects our feasting. See what I did there? Fasting feeds into, yep comedy. Um, All of these practices feed into and affect our engagement, our awareness of the presence of God with us. And that's what we're celebrating during this Advent season, the arrival of Emmanuel, God with us. Because with God now with us, we are able to experience the true gift of hope because we can now have a relationship with the one person that is truly worth putting our hope in. We have the gift of true peace that surpasses all understanding. We have the gift of true joy that goes beyond situations and circumstances, and we can now forever experience the true gift of unconditional love that can only come from Jesus. So today, with all of this, we're going to talk about the idea of being filled to overflowing. And there's two images here. There's one over here right above Eric. There's a cup there. And there's another one over here that's nice and red. And you may not even realize, but it's a, it's a picture, uh, a crazy negative kind of added color of this overflowing image. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we do, let me pause and open us in prayer. Father, Son, Spirit, as we have this image of what it means to be overflowing Holy Spirit, we ask that you would not just fill, but overwhelm us with your presence. As we 
kind of enter the season and think about waiting and the arrival of your son, we thank you that we are also in this place where we know you and your spirit and you're with us. And so God, help us to hear from you today. In those places where we feel overwhelmed, God, help us to feel filled to overflowing with your goodness. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as we begin, I want to ask us a question, and this question really comes into play during the holidays because our world is all about busyness, spending what we have, what we want, what we need, and nothing pushes us more to highlight how we see the world like Christmas time does. And so this question I have for you is when it comes to the way you see the world, do you see it with the idea of a glass half full or half empty? Do you see the world half full and half empty? And the reason I bring this up is because we tend to think these are the two main ways of seeing the world, generally engaging the world. But if you think about it, both of these ways of thinking have the same core root to them. Whether you see things as half full or half empty, the idea at the core is whether you have enough. Either you have enough or you don't. And in both of these cases, enough is your measuring point. And when it comes to the idea of having enough, even if it's in a positive sense, it's still attached with this idea of a limited surplus. It's a shortage mindset. And biblically speaking, we see words attached to this way of thinking. Those include things like lacking and wanting and need. And over and over again in the scriptures, in each and every one of us, we've experienced what it is to live ultimately in a way of seeing a world in this mindset. And it always leads to the, the feeling of being overwhelmed. So just as a quick survey, anybody been feeling overwhelmed this holiday season with prep Christmas, family, decorating, cooking, not having any of those things ready? Maybe I'm the only one. No, see, I see some hands. Thank you for being honest. Even those of you who seem to be really good at being content, at the core, you still wrestle with having enough. And the reason why we do, because that's the way the world thinks. Do I have enough food? Do I have enough money? Do I have enough friends? Do I have a big enough house? Do I have enough energy? Do I have enough education? Do I have enough coffee? Which is always no. Do I have enough gas in my car? Do I have enough gifts to give to people? Do I have enough, enough, enough? Half full, half empty, it doesn't matter. We base everything we see, everything we want, everything we have in terms of enough. And we live accordingly. And without fail, it leads us to feeling overwhelmed with life. And sadly, Christmas has become a time of year that fully highlights this reality. But with the arrival of Jesus at Advent, we receive something different. With the Son of God coming into our world, we are given the most incredible gift of a radically different way of living. And we see this in John 10.10. It says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or another translation is to have abundant life. Or I would argue it's one that is filled to overflowing. Not one that's half full, not one that's half empty, but one that's overflowing because now we are not focused on our limited resources. Rather, we're now focused on Jesus and God's limitless resources. So rather than a life that's geared towards enough and focused on our lack or our wants or our needs, we are now invited to experience a life that's abundant, that's abounding, that's plentiful, that's more than we could ever imagine and can only come from God. Psalm 23, verse 5 says this, 
You, God, fill my cup to overflowing. While other translators say this way, you give me more than I can hold or my cup overflows. Now the cup that's being talked about here is our life. And an overflowing one is one that's filled beyond its capacity with an endless supply of God's goodness forever spilling over. And we see in, in um, John 7, 37, Jesus says this, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit. Here we see this overflowing picture of living water flowing from within. This living water that's being discussed here is the Spirit of God. It's the breath of God. It's the ruach, as translated in the Hebrew, or the pneuma in the Greek. And as Jesus is saying that everyone who's listening knows he's referencing this absolutely beautiful prophecy that was given in Ezekiel 47, way back in the Old Testament. And so I think it would be really great for us to look at that to get us a better picture of what we get to receive as a result of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, you can open it to Ezekiel chapter 47. We'll start with verse 1. If you don't, that's okay. The scripture will be displayed on the various displays around us. Um, But before we get there, I want you to have a little background. The book of Ezekiel was written somewhere around 500 B.C. This is a long time ago. And it happened during the Babylonian captivity of the Jews. And so Ezekiel, in his prophetic ministry, is working with a generation that has been both exceedingly sinful, and as a result of this captivity, they were thoroughly hopeless. And so by means of his ministry, Ezekiel is attempting to bring them to immediate repentance, but he's also trying to restore confidence in them for this distant future hope that will be in God. And so before we get there, some of the themes that Ezekiel hits, this is way back before Jesus. Some of the teachings that he gives are so amazing to think of 500 B.C. that he was teaching this. One, God works through humanity. Two, That even in defeat and despair, God's sovereignty can be known and experienced. Three, that God's word never fails. Four, that God is present and can be worshipped anywhere. 500 B.C., this word is coming to the people. And number five, that the kingdom of God will come. And the reason why I share this is because, for the most part, the book of Ezekiel It's not super fun. He's basically speaking about judgment and calls of repentance, the destruction of the temple, all kinds of evil. But later, towards the end, he starts to share these visions of the future and how God will return to be fully present with humanity, to rebuild the temple, and to bring about this incredible cosmic restoration of all things. And it starts with this scene where God transports Ezekiel to this valley filled with all these bones of these fallen Israelites. And the question that's posed is, can these bones come back to life? 
To which God answers with this powerful yes. And we get this incredible image of all these bones coming back to life by breathing living words into them. And that word breath that's being breathed into them is the same word, the Spirit of God, the breath of God. And so what we see here is that the breath of God, the Spirit fills them, restores them, gives them new hearts, gives them new life. They were dead, and now life is springing out of them. And it illustrates this truth that without the breath, without the Spirit of God in us, we can't do anything. We can't live. But with the breath, with the Spirit in us, we are then filled and given new, full life. Now, Ezekiel then gets to chapter 47 where we're going to see where we see this amazing picture of a new temple that's being created this new earth a renewal of all creation it's a scene that shows us that god has not forgotten his people and that he will make all things new again so let's look at that ezekiel chapter 47 it says this starting with verse 1 the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple and i saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar, and he then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side, and as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. And then he led me through water that was ankle deep, and he measured off another thousand cubits. And led me through water that was knee deep. And he measured off another thousand. And led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand. But now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the banks of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters into the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because of the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eneg uh, Lahim, and there will be, a, will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kind, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Verse 12, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water of the sanctuary flows to them. The water of the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. 500 BC. This book has this amazing picture of God restoring everything and making all things new. We see this water trickling out and it turns into the stream flowing from the temple and then turns into this full-on river flowing into the city into one of the most desolate places on earth, the Dead Sea Valley. This river leaves behind it everywhere it goes. New plants, new trees, new life. 
it enters into this dead sea and this dead sea becomes a living sea, absolutely overflowing now with life. And all of this imagery is flowing out of this new temple, which if you think about scriptures ahead of this, our bodies are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. So there's this powerful image, and it's all tied to the Garden of Eden scene in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It's showing us how God plans to always have restored all things. The book of Ezekiel ends with the naming of this new city, of this new garden, this kingdom, this world. And the name of this place is that the Lord is there. So it ends with this incredible hope for the future that brings a peace that surpasses understanding, a joy that is going beyond limits of situation and circumstances, and a love that's unconditional and without limits or boundaries for all. And it ends with this picture of a new humanity, a living new world given new life, now fully animated by this life-giving spirit, the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. And so if you take this image, this scene, this is what they're talking about in John 7. It says, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, the scripture we just looked at, where the temple, out of the temple, the spring of living water is bringing life to everything. It says living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit. The story of Advent is the story of the arrival of the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ, as the scripture says, is the word of God, the exact representation of God. And it's with the arrival that we are now invited to now fully experience the spirit of God, the breath of God, giving us this abundant life, this life to the full that is overflowing, just as God promised us, and we can experience it every moment of every day. That's what Advent is all about. This is where we can now experience an overflowing life rather than one that is overwhelmed. Now, if you're like me, you're going, thanks, Rich. I still feel overwhelmed. I still got things to cook and I got things to wrap and I still haven't bought all the things for my wife. Is she in here? She knows this already. Um, uh, I'm overwhelmed, right? Um, How do I take what you're saying and experience some more of this? Because everything in my life is feeling overwhelmed and I'm with you. So as we've done each week, we've talked about different practices to help us engage with God more. And so what I want to do is share some more practices. Any of the practices we've looked at over the last few weeks are designed to do the same thing, but these today might help us with our way of thinking. So if you want to practice one or any of these, I got four of them. You could try it. Hopefully this will help us all better engage into this experience of the overwhelming overflowing life. So, practice number one, stay connected to Jesus every day or practice owning your need for God. Now, I want to be really clear right off the bat. I'm not talking about spending time in scripture for five hours a day or anything crazy like that. John says, uh, John 15, 5, let me read it to you. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, this is that idea that ties back to that truth. Without the breath of God, the Spirit, we can do nothing. So if you think about it, if you just pause and breathe, 
That breath that you're breathing right now is a constant reminder of the gift of grace that we have in Jesus. You did nothing to deserve it. It is present with you at every moment of every day, no matter what is going on, whether you realize it or not. But how often do we pause to think about it? So part of this is just a practice of awareness, right? Being aware that this overflowing life, this spirit within you is there. But it continues in John 7, it says this, if you stay connected to me and my words remain in you, you may ask any request you like and it will be granted. My true disciples produce much fruit. This brings glory to my Father. So stay connected to my love. You stay connected to my love when you obey me. And I've told you this so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your cup of joy will overflow. So as an action, as a practice, Maybe try simply leaving your Bible someplace. Maybe it's right by your bed. Maybe it's on your dining room table. Someplace that you'll see it every day. And just use that as a reminder to take a moment to get into the Word, even for five minutes. And along with that, take that moment to pause and say, Lord, I need you. Start your day in a little bit of the Word and reminding yourself of your need for God. Trying to do this builds that habit of spending time with God and owning our need. And it doesn't matter how long or how many days. It's not this perfect formula. It's just a practice. Another practice you could try is to stop complaining. Start being grateful. That's always easier said than done, right? Let's see what some scripture says. Philippians says, in everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. That's always nice. In everything you do, right? Thank you, scripture. Another one says, let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all God has done. And here's my favorite. This one always challenged me. No matter what happens, 1 Thessalonians says, always be thankful for this is God's will for you who belong in Christ. It's just God's will that you're always thankful. Anybody not always thankful? You're all, you're all guilty, FYI. Um, this is hard, right? We all have issues. We have things that we can complain about. It doesn't matter what it is. But if you think about it, all of our complaining in any form or fashion, whatever it's about, ultimately is based on our mindset. It's always on a state of want or need. So this is a practice of giving thanks. So maybe just a simple action would be If you put that Bible by your bed and you're going to look at it in the morning or before you go to bed, why not start your morning with just sharing five, ten things that you're thankful for? And if you live with family, you got community, you have roommates, whatever, I'd encourage you to do this in community. Share it with other people, not just yourself. Make space to give thanks for a couple things and find out what happens. Simple practice. Help you remember the blessings that we have. Third practice. Stop comparing and start being content. Thank you, Rich. Scripture says it's healthy to be content, but envy will eat you up. And Ecclesiastes puts it this way. This is good. It's better to be content with what you have than to always be struggling for more. That is like chasing the wind. Anybody remember the windstorm the other day? Try chasing that, right? That's the visual. It says... Uh, and, and if we recognize this, we see how hard this is as well, because we love to compare. And that's the way our world thinks. We're always in comparison. There's always someone that has more than us, and there's always someone that has less than us. 
So if your focus is on comparing, you're going to end up struggling, as the scripture says, like trying to chase the wind. Anybody feel that way sometimes in your comparison? It's like chasing the wind. So again, this is hard. So maybe an action plan beyond just making space to give thanks is to try to be aware of the way you give thanks. Because oftentimes the way we give thanks is in comparison to somebody else. Right? I'm thankful that I have this because other people don't. Or whatever. Our comparisons, our thankfulness is based on other things that we compare ourselves to. And so why not let's try to be a little more aware of why we're thankful and do it more based on our situation, circumstances, on God, right? Rather than comparing us to someone else or something else or what we have or what we don't have, why not just give thanks for what God has done for us? The fourth one is to stop being stingy and to start being generous. I've got a couple verses for you with this one. The first one comes from 2 Corinthians. It says this, Remember this, a stingy planter will only reap a small crop, but anyone who sows generously will also reap generously. So each of you should give serious consideration to what you want to give God, not reluctantly or under pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you can be sure that God is able to bless you, here comes all the alls, with all his grace, so that in all things, at all times, you will always be, you'll always have all you need, and you'll also overflow so you can give to every good work. Wow. Malachi says this, bring your full tithe to my storehouse so that there will be food in my house. Test me now in this, the Lord says, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And then finally, Luke, this is Jesus speaking, says, If you uh, give, you will receive back. Your gift will return to you in full measure, packed down and shaken to make room for more, and running over. Whatever measure you use in giving, large or small, it will be used to measure whatever it is given back to you. Now, this one is always tough because at church it feels like people talk about giving, and I want to be clear that, yes, this has something to do with finances. Um, But... It really isn't all about finances. It's about being generous. And so this not only includes with your finances, it includes with your time and how you spend it. It has to do with your relationships and how you reach out or not. It has to do with the way you serve others and whether you make space to do that. It has to do with being generous in how we forgive people. And it even includes being generous in the ways we listen and how we are open to change or not. Because being filled to overflowing means we no longer live with a limited mindset, but a limitless mindset. So the invitation, again, that we have is to overflow, unending overflowing of hope, of peace and joy and love. And it's to be shared with anyone and everyone at all times, whoever needs it. So maybe the action plan on this one, if you want to try this one, Why not practice testing God on this? The scriptures literally say, test me. Ask yourself. Pray. Listen to where God might be saying, here's a place I want you to be more generous and see what happens. Because as we said, the goal of these practices we've talked about today, the practices we've talked about for the last month, all of these are designed to help us see and experience and engage with God in our day-to-day more fully, 
but also as we are overflowing to share that outwardly with others, to be a representative of Jesus in all that we do. Because now with Advent in the birth of Jesus, we have the arrival of the one and only person who can constantly fill us to overflow like these images where it's just pouring out more generous than we can ever imagine. The Spirit is in us. As we take a breath, as we breathe, we are experiencing it wherever we go. Emmanuel, God with us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward and the prayer team to come forward. And as they do, um, I'd like to give us some space to respond. Um, And all I would like you to do is, hi, Jessica. I'm going to crash into you. Um, What I would like to ask you to do is just take some time to ponder this. It could be uh, one of these practices that you want to try. Um, But my encouragement would just be to simply pause and think about the idea of God with us. God has come. This this prophecy that was given over 500 B.C. is now present. He's arrived. And what has that done for your life? How has it changed your life? How might you be thankful and transformed as a result? So the band's going to play for a few minutes to give you space to think about how you want to respond. Um, You could take a moment to pray, to confess, to own, to give thanks, to receive, to be filled, whatever you feel called for at this time. And I also want you to know the prayer team will be up here as well. So if you'd like prayer in any form, they'd be honored to pray for you and with you. Um, I'm going to close our time, though, with uh, a benediction, a blessing for you. And this comes from Paul in Romans chapter 15. Um, I'm going to pray it over us. The band will then play. We'll sing a song of response together, and then we'll close. Um, Yeah, take the space to remember God with us. Um, Let me pray. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill us, all of us, with the joy and peace as we trust in you so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill all of us, One Life Community Church, with joy and peace as we trust in you so that you may overflow in us with your hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.